Welcome to our class called Disciples Who Make Disciples Through Immersion Discipleship School. This is session four called Becoming a Disciple Maker. And you'll remember that we've already talked about the call of discipleship, the goals of discipleship, and then last week the process of discipleship. And most of those conversations were primarily about us becoming a disciple of Jesus, which by definition is a learner of the ways and the words of Jesus. We're followers of Him. But now we want to shift the conversation to what it looks like to become a disciple maker, that we are those that make disciples of others. But in order to do that, we have to be a disciple. So that's why we spent several weeks talking about what that looked like so that we know what it is that we want to reproduce in the lives of others. And again, you reproduce what God has produced in you. So we wanna understand what a disciple is. We wanna take the steps of a disciple. We wanna bear fruit as a disciple so that when we go to help develop other people, we know what that looks like. And so now as we look at this, we just wanna be reminded that Christianity is a disciple-making movement. And I feel like in today's world, we've lost discipleship as a priority. In other words, for us to go and help intentionally develop other people to look like and follow Jesus Christ is something that has not been prioritized. In our world today, it seems like the most popular churches or preachers or whatever, not to criticize them, but it's really all about inspiring and encouraging people. It's not about instructing. It's not about equipping. People want to be touched more than they want to be trained. And so we have to shift the mindset and say what's really vital for us to shape the future is to become disciple makers. Those that are disciples in the present will help to shape the present, but people that are disciple makers, they will have a hand in developing the future because we are imparting into the lives of others what God has imparted to us. And that's where a generational legacy actually happens. When Jesus chose the 12 and he raised them up as his disciples, he wasn't just thinking about them. He was thinking about the thousands and millions of followers that would come after him investing his life into these 12. And we need to think the same way. We need to prioritize discipleship just like Jesus did. In fact, when Jesus rose from the dead, the primary thing that he told them, number one, was you need power to do what I'm calling you to do, but what he was calling them to do is found in what we call the Great Commission, and this is what we want to look at, and I'm just going to simply read it, and then we'll break it down together. In Matthew chapter 28, verse 18 through 20, Jesus had risen from the dead, and then he goes to his disciples, and he says this to them, and Jesus came up and spoke to them, saying, all authority has been given to me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations. Baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Teach them to observe all that I have commanded you. And lo, I am with you even to the end of the age. Jesus shares these words with the eleven. Obviously, Judas wasn't a part of them at this time. He had walked with them for three years, and these were some of his last words. In other words, these were some of the most important things that he would ever say to them. After the three years that he'd walked with them, he's putting a period after these kinds of statements. Some would call this the last will and testament of Jesus. The last being the most important things and what he wanted to emphasize to his direct disciples. But notice that making disciples to Jesus was a command. This command is go therefore and make disciples. This is definitive language. This is what you are supposed to do. This is what I'm calling you to. This is what it's about. 
And Jesus makes that very, very clear. But there's some things in this little passage. It's really not a lot of scripture here, but it's, it's power packed. It has a ton in there that I want to unpack with you for this session. There's several things that he says, but the first in making disciples that he mentions, and I'm just going to put it to you like this, disciple makers have authority. Jesus says, authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me, now go. And this is what he's saying. I am the author, I'm the one that has the authority, and I am authorizing you. What is he authorizing us to do? He's authorizing us to make disciples. This means if the author is giving us permission to go and do what he's designed, then we have all of the necessary resources behind us to accomplish what he's calling us to. You and I have authority. We have authority to step into this role and we have all of the resources necessary to accomplish what we have authority to do. It's just like a police officer has authority. He has a, a rule and a reign, so to speak, and a jurisdiction over a region to do specific things. And he has corresponding power. He has a gun. He has uh, all of the things that are needed for him to enforce what he's called upon to do. He's been given authority to, uh, to sustain peace. He's been given authority um, to help with people in situations. He's been given authority to enforce rules and laws that help all people. And in order to do that, he needs certain resources. And we too, we've been given a certain authority, a certain jurisdiction and corresponding resources. And we need to remember this because the mission at hand, what we've been called to do in making disciples is something that's gonna be tiring at times. It's something that's gonna be difficult at times. There will be all kinds of curveballs that we're gonna get thrown along the way. But we need to remember that whatever comes our way in the midst of the mission, that we have authority over whatever gets in the way. That's why when Jesus cast out demons, he was going along preaching the kingdom he was healing the sick, and when demons started manifesting or they were, they were controlling people or they were compelling people that came across Jesus' view, this came into a conflict with his mission and he cast them out. Anything that comes into conflict with the mission of God, we have authority over it. And this is what Jesus is talking about when he says, "You, I have authority, now I want you to go, which means you have authority because I'm giving it to you. So disciple makers have authority. The second thing that we read about here is disciple makers have a heart for all nations. This is what he says. He says, go and make disciples of all nations. And this means that it was supposed to spread beyond Jewish people. In a first century Jewish context, Jesus was preparing the hearts of his Jewish friends to say, this is not just for Israel. This is not just for the Jews. And that was their mindset. He was saying, this is for all nations. I want you to break open the box and realize I've come for all. We see this in John 3.16. It says, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. It wasn't that God so loved the Jews or God so loved Israel that he came, he brought, he gave his Messiah, his son. No, he, he came for the whole world. He cares about all people. He died for all people. He loves every nation and he calls us to do the same. That it can't just be people that look like us, talk like us, act like us. We have to break all of these barriers of, of and be diverse people and reach diverse people and realize that that is God's heart. The Abrahamic covenant uh, was for all nations back in Genesis 22, 8. Look what it says here. In your seed, 
God says to Abraham, all the nations of the earth shall be blessed because you have obeyed my voice. And Jesus, we kind of fast forward into the Gospels, he says that the gospel must be preached to all the nations. And we have this like way back in Abraham's time, God's heart was for all nations and he told this to Abraham. And then he raises up a people, Israel, to carry out his commands, to bring forth the temple and the law and the priests and the sacrificial system, all of this speaking of Jesus, he chose Israel for this special purpose that when the Messiah would come, he would be given as a sacrifice for all the nations. And so this is why it's so important when we see Jesus say this in Matthew 24, and it's talking about when the end of the age would sort of um, come to a summary. He says this, this gospel of the kingdom shall be preached in the whole world as a testimony to all the nations and then the end will come. Jesus is again telling his disciples that you need to, in order to see the signs of the times, you need to realize that the gospel has to be preached to all the nations. In other words, God's heart is for the nations. God wants us to go and make disciples of all the nations. They needed to hear this as Jews who could expand the boundaries or the borders of their thinking for all people, but we also need to think the same. People that don't speak our language, people that don't talk like us, act like us, and, and aren't around us. We need to carry a heart for the nations. And this is something that disciple makers think about. They pray toward, we pray for the nations, that God would begin to move our hearts so that we can find ways to disciple everyone. Disciple makers also baptize people. He says, baptize them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. And there are a couple ways of looking at this. I don't personally believe that Jesus was saying, dunk people in water and say, in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit when you do that. I think that's become a ritual. I actually think that these are three baptisms. The word baptism is, is a word that we use for immersion, like immersion discipleship school. It means to, be, to dip, to be totally covered and saturated. It's a description word, it's not a definition word. And this is important because we baptize people in water, we baptize people in the Holy Spirit, we baptize people into the love of God or into repentance. And so this, many scholars and theologians think that this isn't one baptism and one statement. It's actually three baptisms or this total immersion into Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. But either way, we do need to baptize people in water. And I also believe that to make disciples, we need to pray for people to be baptized in the Holy Spirit. In Acts chapter 2, verse 36, after pre Peter preaches this sermon and 3,000 people end up coming to Christ, this is sort of what that scenario looks, looks like. He says this, Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. And when the people heard this, they were cut to the heart, and they said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? And Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you, in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins, and you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And if you follow this story in Acts chapter 2, they baptized 3,000 people. And that's a really long day, if you ask me. They had to baptize a lot of people per hour in order to get that done. But you see throughout the book of Acts that the disciples continue to baptize people. Acts chapter 8, verse 12, it says this, But when they believed... Philip preaching the good news about the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. They were being baptized, both men 
and women alike. And what I want to show you here is that they preach the gospel and then they baptize people. And we need to remember that this is what we need to focus on to make disciples of people. We've got to lead them into the waters of baptism that speaks about the old things being done away and all things becoming new. Death to self and new life and resurrection. Jesus died on the cross and he rose again. And that's what baptism in water is all about. It's an outward profession of an inward reality. You don't get saved when you get water baptized, but you are saying that you are saved because of what Jesus has done when you put your faith in what he's done, his death, burial, resurrection. You go into the waters and you proclaim it to the principalities and the powers and anyone else that sees it. I am his and I am new. And that's what it is. It's a profession, a public outward profession of an inward reality. And we as disciple makers need to help people into the baptism waters to proclaim their faith. And I believe a lot of these things that God does in, in asking us to facilitate baptism, for example, is to help us take steps in public profession to say, this is who I am because of what God has done. And I love baptism for that reason. We see another passage, Acts chapter 8, verse 36. This is an interesting one. Another Acts chapter 10, verse 47 through 48. This is the house of Cornelius. And this is what it says. Surely no one can refuse water for these to be baptized who have received the Holy Spirit, just as we, uh, just as we did, can he? And he ordered them to be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. And then they asked him to stay for a few days. What you have is the house of Cornelius. While Peter was preaching, the Holy Spirit fell upon them because they believed in Christ and they spoke in tongues and prophesied. And Peter saw this and said, how can we refuse them to be water baptized? So they baptized the whole house of Cornelius because they realized that they had truly believed in Jesus. And there was an evidence of them being baptized with the Holy Spirit because they spoke in tongues and prophesied. My point is to say this, in the early church, they emphasized it, they focused on it because Jesus told them to. How often is it that you ask people that you're walking with or talking with, have you been baptized in water? It's something that we have to be focused on. We have to be intentional about. We've got to ask people about, when were you baptized in water? What did that look like? When I walk with people, something that I'm always thinking about is, when did you give your life to the Lord? Tell me your story. When did you get, your, when did you get water baptized and have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? If, if any of these are out of order or any of these haven't happened, then as a disciple maker, I'm going to help them take those steps. And that's what I'm talking about is disciple makers baptize people. Again, you have this whole thing here in Acts 16 verse 14 is what it says. A woman named Lydia from the city of Thyatira, a, a seller of purple fabrics, a worshiper of God, was listening, and the Lord opened her heart to respond to the things spoken by Paul. She's listening to Paul preach. And when she and her whole household had been baptized, she urged us, saying, If you have judged me to be faithful to the Lord, come into my house and stay. And she prevailed upon us. In the first century, they would have something called a mikvah, and they were places of water that several biblical re uh, regulations and rituals of purity would be performed. And this was a full immersion. They would go down into this mikvah and they would be fully and completely immersed as a ritual of purity. Sometimes they would do this once a year. Uh, converts that would come into Judaism would have to do this for sure. And anything impure and decent was believed to have left them in the water. 
This baptism we take in part of is not a mere ritual cleansing like believed prior before Jesus had come. Jesus was not referring to a ritual cleansing. He was referring to an outward profession. It was a once and for all type of deal. It was a profession of faith. And this is why he calls us to do this. And I think that sometimes we compromise the message of Jesus by not caring about whether people have been baptized. And I think this is so important. In fact, I can make a case for that the delivering power of God truly manifests when people make these kinds of professions. And the reason that I think so is because I believe when you make an outward profession, it's sort of an obedient act. It says to not just people, but it says to principalities and powers, I am marked. I am his. I am a follower of Christ. I am a disciple. And when we lead people into that, The power that manifests from God is so incredible. God desires obedience and not just sacrifice. And we've got to lead people into obedience. That's what disciple makers do. Disciple makers also teach the words and the ways of Jesus. You'll notice in the passage of the Great Commission, Jesus says, teach them to obey all that I commanded you. And this is really interesting because I think sometimes people do teach what Jesus taught, but they don't teach all. He says, teach people to obey all that I commanded you. Well, Jesus, Jesus taught his disciples to cast out demons, preach the kingdom. He taught them to heal the sick. He taught them to raise the dead. He taught them to serve one another. He taught them to love each other. He taught them to have humility. There's so many things that Jesus taught, but in their mind, they would have thought all of it. In today's world, I feel like we don't teach all of it. And I want to give this as an admonition and an encouragement that if we go back to teaching everything that Jesus taught, I believe we're going to see the fruit and the power that Jesus exhibited in his life that we see in the first century in his disciples. They were walking in miracles, signs, and wonders because of what they believed and how they lived. And we want to go back to that. We want to teach disciples, you have authority, you can cast out demons, you can heal the sick. We also want to teach them that you need to humble yourself, right? He says the last will be first and the first will be last. We want to teach them you need to wash people's feet, you need to serve them, you want to love them, you want to give your life. This is all about what Jesus taught. I mean, he taught his disciples all of these things. We don't want to teach some of these things. We want to teach all that Jesus taught. To me, that is disciple making 101. What did Jesus teach? And I think we need to write books. Everything that Jesus taught about prayer, everything that Jesus taught about fasting, everything that Jesus taught about power, everything that Jesus taught about serving. We should just have some simple books that that talk about those kinds of things because discipleship is about what Jesus said. Therefore, we need to have good materials that really encompass all of those things from Scripture and just pulls out all these passages and we simply pass that on to other people. He talks about teach them to obey, or observe is the word that he uses, not teach them just to know. And again, this is the whole point. It cannot be teaching people to know about what Jesus said. That's just a Bible study where it's about knowledge. It has to be teach people to obey what Jesus said. That's different. That means that we're accountable to the words that we're learning. We're accountable to the way of life that we're called into. And we become dependent on the power in order to live that kind of a life, which brings into the conversation the need for the Holy Spirit. You don't need the Holy Spirit until you're called upon to do something that you just can't do in the natural. And so here we have Jesus telling his disciples, 
teach them to obey everything that I commanded. But guess what? You can't do everything that Jesus commanded without the power that they needed to do what Jesus had commanded. And so here's how things start to work together. And we want to remember that, that when we're discipling people, when you choose someone and you sit down with them and you walk life with them, what are you teaching them? Are you teaching them what Jesus taught his disciples? Or are you just talking to them about how to make it in this world and how to do okay or how to be blessed? We've got to be careful what it is that we're telling people because we get the opportunity and the privilege to shape their thinking and potentially their future and life. Disciple makers teach the words and the ways of Jesus, but also disciple makers are empowered by the Holy Spirit. This is what Jesus says after all of the other things that we've talked about. He says, and lo, I am with you until the end of the age. Sometimes we're we talk a lot about the presence of God. I really want the presence of God in my life and I want to go into the church service and I want to experience the manifest presence of God. I love that. I agree with that. But here's something that Jesus says. He says, make disciples of all nations, baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit, teach them to obey everything that I commanded you and I am with you until the end of the age. Man, this is so important. The presence of God is is right there available and real for those that are doing what Jesus said. Think about that. The presence of God is available and right there in the midst of the mission that he's called us to. He wasn't just giving them a theological promise. And by the way, I live in you. That's, that's not what he was saying. He's saying, I'm giving you this mission. I'm commissioning you but I want you to know you're not doing this alone. I'm going to be with you in the midst of this. If you want to experience the presence of God, make a disciple and go through the struggle and the turmoil and the difficulty of all that that will bring. It's like being a father. It's like being a mother where you're basically setting your hand to another person's life and you don't know where that river's going to go. You're not sure what decisions they're going to make. You're investing your heart. You're investing your time, your money, your life into someone else so that they would become like Jesus. And there's a lot of difficulty with that, but you experience the presence of Jesus. If you just look at how Jesus experienced life when he invested himself into the 12, Judas ends up betraying him. Everybody walks away from him at the cross and they come back. Thomas is doubting him. He's got people all over the place. People are wanting to call down fire from heaven on people as they're walking around and following Jesus. And he's like, you don't know what spirit you're of. Jesus had to fight with this. He had to wrestle with this and to invest himself for three years into the lives of these people. And I think when we disciple people, we experience the same thing. And it's in those moments where the presence of God becomes so real to us because we're doing what Jesus did. And that's where you experience the presence of God and the words of Jesus come alive because you're doing what he did and you're, you're understanding the, his sufferings and not just the power of his resurrection. It's the fellowship of his sufferings, not just his sufferings on the cross, but his sufferings in giving his life away while he was here on the earth. That's what a disciple maker does. That's what a disciple maker experiences. And these are some of the things that we see principally from the passage. But I want to say some practical things for, for everyone that's going to commit themselves and submit themselves to a process of, of making a disciple. I want to just tell you some practical things that I think will help you along your way. And the first one is, in order to make a disciple, you have to choose someone. You can't just wait for someone to choose you. 
I believe intentionality bridges the gap of a person that doesn't and a person that does make a disciple. You've got to see, I want, I want to work with this person or I'm just going to choose them. Now, here, here's the deal. You may not have a lot of people in your life, but you might have a handful and you just got to choose one or choose a couple. And so it's important that you do that. Jesus chose 12 he chose a small community to do that with. He wasn't after the crowds. He was after the few. And it's with a few that he changed the world. And we've got to remember that. Sometimes today people in ministry want crowds. They love the church services. They, they think that's great. We got more seats and we've got more people sitting in seats. But those aren't disciples. That's not, that's not the trajectory that we're going for. We're, we're looking for people that we can invest everything into. And the, the greatest example of that is not big church services. The greatest example of that is family, fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. That's really, I believe, God's path for discipleship is that men and women take ownership for the spiritual well-being of other people. You've got to choose someone and commit yourself instead of waiting for them to choose you. I find that if you wait, you're probably not going to have anybody that you're discipling. The second thing I want to encourage you with in terms of practical steps is you've got to give the person that you're working with a vision. Give them vision. In Luke 6:39, I've shared this verse with you several times before, but Jesus says this, he spoke a parable to them his disciples, and he said, a blind man cannot guide a blind man. Will they not both fall into a pit? A pupil or a student is not above his teacher, but everyone after he has been fully trained will be like his teacher. And this is the vision that we want to set. We're not trying to build sort of a, a, an empire or a kingdom unto ourselves, where we're always sitting on the golden seat. What we're doing is we're saying, I'm giving you a vision for you to be fully trained. Jesus says when when a student is fully trained, he will be like his teacher. And so something that I do with people is I tell them, I'm not trying to look down to you. I'm trying to build you up so that we become peers, so that, that I might always be a mentor to you. I might always be somebody that you look up to, but I want you to understand my vision. My vision is to help you develop to a place where you and I are looking eyeball to eyeball. I'm not a have and you're a have not. I believe that what God has done in me or will do or has, has done in me, well, he'll do the same thing in you. And that is my vision. So I like to tell people that right up front. And we've got to help encourage them to show them what this process actually is. There's a value beyond what you do for me. There's a value uh, beyond you being here. There's a value in, beyond you being a, a person in a chair. It's that we're family and you're gonna be as I am, a fully trained disciple. And that's my vision, that's my heart. And I'm going to give myself to that. I think it's so important that we set that trajectory when we're helping people grow as disciples. It makes them feel valuable because they are. The third thing I want to share with you as practical uh, instruction or help to make disciples is we need to build relationships. Jesus built relationship with his disciples. They live life together. And this is different between programs and personal relationship. You can't program this. I, I, I I think it's great that we have programs. I think it's great that we have processes and procedures. All of that's great. I just don't think all of that's discipleship. I think it might be helpful. It might be organizational, but it certainly isn't life on life, person on person. At some point, a life has to be poured into a life for it to be really called discipleship. You can come to church as much as you want. You can come to classes as much as you want. Even this is, I wouldn't call this discipleship. I would call this an element of discipleship. 
Teaching is an element of discipleship, as we've already discussed, but it's got to get towards relationship. We've got a hunger for relationship because we were designed interdependently, not codependently, but to be interdependent on one another as the body of Christ, as the people of God, because we need one, one another. We invest into each other's lives and we build from one generation to the next. This is one of the ways that God does this. This is one of the ways that God builds disciples for the future generation. And so when we build relationship with people, it's so important that we invest not just our head, but our heart into this. And yeah, you're gonna get burned sometimes. Sometimes you're gonna get hurt. Sometimes you're gonna feel betrayed. You're gonna feel wounded, but welcome to the club because Jesus did that and you're not gonna get out of this for less than what Jesus did. And to expect that is just wrong. You're not gonna get the fruit that Jesus had without the ministry that Jesus had as well. That's the truth. And so what did Jesus do? He lived life with people. He chose them. He invested his heart into them. He encouraged them. He corrected them. He built real relationship with them. If we're going to do discipleship, it's not going to be less than that. So we've got to remember that, that it's not out of convenience. You can't be thinking about convenience. It's got to be sacrifice. And sacrifice, when I say that, I mean relationship. The next thing I think is important for practical instruction is we need to invest well. You can disciple someone by investing what God has given you. And this means is that everything that God has put into you, you want to make sure that you're passing that on. When we die and we go to be with the Lord, we don't have any more shots at this. And so I want to be a person that everything that God has put into me, I'm making sure that I extract it and give it away. Part of my vision in my home is that even for Immersion Discipleship School, we have eight classes currently, we're gonna build more, but part of my vision is to teach my kids everything that I'm teaching you. And so right now my youngest children are 11 and nine, almost 12 and eight, or sorry, 12 and 10, and I'm going through all these classes with them. So I want them to know everything I know, I want them to have everything that I have. I wanna invest well. The concept of inheritance to me is not just this idea that when I'm dead, they'll inherit what I, what I have. I think that that's not quite what inheritance is. I think inheritance is something where you know what you have and while you're living, you give away to those that are your children what you have. But I think in the spirit, you can have more than just physical children, that while you're alive, you give your inheritance away so that you can also enjoy what they do and how they implement what you've given to them in the world that you live in. And you get to see some of that. I don't want to just wait till I die. I mean, principally, spiritually, emotionally, financially, physically, I want to give myself away. I want to invest myself into the next generation, my physical kids, and then any spiritual children that I adopt that God would give me. And my wife and I have done this time and time again. We've got to learn how to invest well, and not just kind of, not just a little bit, but we have to invest well. So what are you investing and where are you investing it? Are you making any disciples and are you investing into them everything that God has given to you? Do you have a mindset for that? That's what I'm talking about. The next really and the last point of encouragement that I would give you for practical instruction on making disciples is we need to send them to multiply. And this just, there comes a point where the season of discipleship that you have with somebody is done and you need to have a vision for them to move on and to step into the things that God has for them outside of being under your wings. And this is important, especially if you disciple a lot of people, you're gonna find that there's just these natural break points where somebody comes into a promotion and you have to have the vision to not keep them, but release them. 
I see so many leaders and they don't have this in their mindset. They don't have a way of releasing people. They don't have a mindset to release people. And it frustrates that relationship. It causes discipleship to get bitter. It causes something to get tainted. And this is not what God has for us. And so as disciple makers, we have to have a mindset and a vision before this ever happens that I'm going to send you and I'm going to promote you and I'm going to, when the time comes, when you're ready, I'm going to make sure to release you. I'm not going to hold you back ever. I will never hold you back. In fact, there's so many times I've had to let people go, even maybe before it was the right time. I didn't have to endorse what they were doing per se, but I had to learn how to let people go because you can't hold on to anybody and you shouldn't want to. When you do, it just, I've never seen it turn out well. So I, I have this thinking, I'm going to send you to multiply. It's a part of my discipleship. What I'm doing with you, you need to do with other people. And if it's not part of your discipleship with other people, it's just a relationship where really you're a have, they're a have not, and as you grow, they grow, but you're always kind of over them. Well, you build a vision where relationship is important and you see them as fully trained, but that also that they're going to do, maybe if not all the things you're doing, they're going to do some of the things that you're doing. They're going to make disciples. They're going to evangelize. They're going to pray for the sick. They're going to cast out demons. They're going to plant churches or whatever it is that God calls them to do, but they're going to be able to implement all of those things and you're able to release them. I've had lots of interns. I've had lots of small groups. We've helped plant churches, all these kinds of things that I've done, but I've learned some of these practical lessons where there's life on life, and that's where you can invest the most. I believe that if everybody discipled one person, that the whole, all of our churches would have discipleship. If everybody discipled one person, the problem is, is you have several handfuls of people discipling everybody. And so if this isn't a vision of your Christianity, let me strongly exhort you. If you think you don't have enough, or if you think you can't do this, you're wrong. That's not God, that's the enemy. Or that's you, and that's not what God has for you. You've got something to give away. It's not about you, it's about the kingdom. It's about what Jesus is doing, and you can replicate you can reproduce what God has produced in you. You don't have to know everything, but whatever you do know, you can give that to somebody else. We've got to invest in our children. We've got to invest in our youth. We've got to invest in our middle age. We've got to invest in our older folks. Every generation deserves discipleship, no matter where they're at on the trajectory of growing to be like Jesus. We've got to make disciples. This is a passion for the church. It was Jesus's heart. It was his last will and testament. It's got to become our passion and priority, which is why I'm so strongly exhorting. I remember one time I was at a church and the pastor invited me up and introduced me as someone who has a passion for discipleship. Ben is really passionate about discipleship. He loves discipleship. And I just thought to myself, I love the pastor. I appreciate the invitation and I appreciate the introduction. But the reality is, is why aren't we all passionate about discipleship? This isn't something that Jesus says some are called to. It's actually something that everybody is called to. And I want to exhort you with that. Are you passionate and prioritizing discipleship? What is it that you need to do in order to take the next step? I can't tell you what that is. I don't know. I can tell you some stuff that will help you as you do it. But if you're not doing it, this won't make sense. God has given us everything that we need to take these steps. If you don't have a lot, you just give what you got. Amen. That's what we need to remember as we seek to do this. Who is discipling you personally and who are you discipling personally? 
Answer those questions. Who is discipling you personally and who are you discipling personally? Those two questions are extremely important in our Christian life. And before we go and end this class, I just simply want to pray for us that God would give us a heart and a commitment to be disciples, but that he would also commit us to the plan and the process of making disciples of other people for his glory and his name's sake. Father, I just thank you for this class. I thank you for every student that's watching this video, this lesson today. And I pray, God, that you would help us to make a full and complete commitment to being a disciple that we would follow you, your words and your ways and your path, no matter what, if it feels good or it doesn't feel good, if it's easy or if it's hard, that we would commit our lives to being disciples of Jesus. And I also pray that you would help us to make the commitment to make disciples, that this would be a passion and a priority and that it, things that get in the way, Lord, we would simply put those things away and say, this is what I'm gonna do because this is what matters. So I pray for all of my friends, all of the students and anybody listening or watching, God, would you help us to take the next step in order to disciple someone personally. And we thank you for your power and your word in helping us do that. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, God bless you guys. I enjoyed this class and I look forward to our next class together.